0: I'd like to invite you to join us in the book of Mark for tonight's scripture reading. Mark chapter 1. Thank you.
1: Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat, with the hired servants, and went away to follow him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So as we start this new sermon series, uh, it's titled, I Believe. And it's titled that because that's uh, what is said three times in the Apostles' Creed. We're going to be looking at the Apostles' Creed, and if you're wondering and wanting to know some basics about it, uh, it is plural. It's apostles, as in more than one apostle. Put the apostrophe after that S, and then it's the creed. So it's plural Apostles' Creed. Um, There are a few other things I'll share with you too, but when, when it comes to our English language, a lot of our words come from Latin. And the word creed is is true to this as well. We get the word creed from a Latin word. It was in uh, the Middle Ages, which is the 5th century through the 15th century, so about a thousand years. Latin was predominantly the educated Christian language. So any church you would go to, it would be done in Latin. It wouldn't be done in English or any other language. It would be done in Latin. And the Apostles' Creed was only known in Latin for over a thousand years. The opening line in Latin, which right here on the screen, it'll pop up here, is credo in deum. That is Latin for I believe in God. You may be familiar with those Latin words of credo in deum by composers of choral works such as Bach, Mozart, and Beethoven. Our English word creed comes from credo. It's a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief. It's saying this is what I believe in. Ultimately, the, the creed's roots, you know, where did it come from? Ultimately, it comes from the New Testament. It's, it comes from the Scriptures. That's where it's drawn from. All of it goes back to the Bible. But in the early church, the simplest creed that we can find in the past, uh, one of them is Jesus is Lord. That's how it was started. Jesus is Lord. And when people would say Jesus is Lord, it, it would mean two main things. The first one was it meant I have a commitment and a belonging to Jesus that he is my Lord. He's personally my Lord and Savior. He's my master. This is what you're saying when you say Jesus is Lord. Another meaning for that is also that Jesus is worthy of worship, that he's God, that he is Lord. And so that led to more understanding. I say, okay, what do you mean by this? Because we only worship one God, and we naturally think, okay, if God the Father is God and God the Son is God, well, now one plus one is two. And now we throw in the Holy Spirit as Christians, and it can be, really be confusing. And so creeds started to become standard practice in order to help us understand what we believe in and why we believe it. By the 4th century, the Apostles' Creed was, was well known, more or less what it is today that we have in English for us to study. There were slight variations that took place for the next 300 years, and around the 7th century, it was settled and resolute, as this is what is um, the Apostles' Creed. It's a wonderful summary of the Apostles' teaching. It's not complete, doesn't cover everything, but it's a wonderful summary for us to understand what it is that we as Christians should hang our hat on when it comes to what we believe concerning the gospel. Interestingly enough, this creed itself was not written by the Apostles. But it is believed that every apostle contributed in some of their writings to what we have here today, and that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. The way they would use the creed was quite different from the way I would. I I grew up in a Baptist church. I don't think we ever studied the Apostles' Creed, which is one of the reasons I really am enjoying diving into traditions of uh, Christian faith that go back centuries. I find a lot of value in this. But in the early church, this creed was tied to baptism many times. So before being baptized, people would be subjected or taught this, and I guess subjected to it as well. This would be something that you would need to believe in in order to affirm and say that I am a Christian. So a profession of faith was made by converts at their baptism, and this creed formed the basis of their learning. This is where we start, and we go from here. So when we learn this creed today, it's really amazing to understand that we are being connected centuries back to our brothers and sisters who were the originators of this creed and even further back to the Lord Jesus himself. When we study this creed, we study the central element of our common Christian heritage. Briefly, I'll cover the purpose of creeds. Okay, so what's the point of having a creed? I got four. There's probably more, but here's four. Uh, The first one is it's a brief overview of Christianity. It helps us understand, hey, this is the broad scope. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And we, we go through the whole thing, and it just gives us a nice overview of broad strokes. Here's what we believe. The second one is this. It protects us against false versions of Christianity. If we are taught something that goes against what this creed teaches us and what we learn, then we we know, okay, we don't need to go there. This is a false teaching. It's like secret service agents. They spend so much time studying the original uh, bill, the currency, that when they see a false one, they spot it. They don't study all the false ones. They study the true one really well, so they're able to pick out the false ones. A third one is... Studying these creeds strengthen our faith and they mature us in our faith. If we don't have something like this, what we will be inclined to do is pick out a certain area of Christianity that we're passionate about and we'll really learn about that to the detriment of other areas of Christianity. And so we'll never be challenged out to, outside of our comfort zone. We'll just have our wheelhouse and it'll lead to weakness weakness and immaturity in our Christian faith. And so this challenges us and strengthens us. And finally, the fourth one is the purpose of creeds is to help us to know that when we believe, we belong. When we believe in what is being taught here, we belong to the body of Christ. We are a member of this live, powerful body, family of faith. I believe, I said earlier, the words I believe is stated three times in the Apostles' Creed, and it's stated right before the persons of the Trinity. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And today's scripture that we're going to look at, that actually Lindsay read for us already, gives us the first words that Jesus gave to us that's recorded in the Gospel of Mark. And I want to review chapter 1 of Mark, verse 15, for us again. This is Jesus, and it says, "...and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, or near, or here. Repent and..." What's that word? "...believe in the gospel." Here Jesus said to repent and believe in the gospel... Our creed uses that word "believe" three times, and it's this word that is a word of faith. It's used many times by our Lord Jesus and throughout the uh, the Gospels, and also throughout the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament. God's writers of His holy Scriptures love this word, but it's not a simple word when it comes to defining what it means, especially in our English language. It's a rich word. It means much more than what we read at a glance and and move on past it. When we do as Jesus said and we repent and believe, as he said fully, our lives are then changed. We don't just read past it and keep going. We no longer remain the same person. I want to give us four ways that, that believing changes who we are tonight, and I'll start with the first one because starting with the fourth one doesn't make sense, does it? Here's the first one. Believing means agreement. Four ways believing changes who we are. Believing means agreement. So simply put, what this means is we believe and we agree that something is true. We affirm in this statement, I believe there is a God. I believe there is an existence of a God. That's where we start. This is an essential beginning point of faith. You have to believe that there is a God before you can believe in Him. I hear people say, or yeah, I've heard it said, but many people say, I believe in Jesus, and they, they believe it to mean, well, yeah, I believe He existed, and I believe what He did was good. So I must believe in Jesus. And that's true. But the word believe here is an English word from a Greek word, that means much more than just believing in the existence of God. It's richer than that. It's not the belief that just acknowledges the presence, but it's the belief that changes who we are, and it's a kind of belief and faith that brings us into the family of God. The English language falls short for us, and we read the words in English and think, Sure, I believe this to be true, so I must be following God's command. We feel as though we've been faithful to the text. But when these words were written in Greek and when we had them translated in Latin for all those years, even in Latin from the the Apostles' Creed into English, the word for believe here, credo, means so much more than believing in the existence of. So more than saying, I believe in God, it would be more accurate for us to understand that instead of just keeping it at that, it would mean more like this. It means, I put my confidence in God. I put my trust in God, or simply, I trust in God. Not just believe in the existence, but I trust in Him. So when we read believe in God, we can stop at this point and think, I am of the opinion that God is real, and that is true. You need to believe that God is real before you can believe in Him and put your trust in Him. So this is the essential first step. It's not the fullness of what the creed is saying though and that's why we're going to move on to undercover more of what believe means tonight. But the first point is believe means agreement. There is a God. The second point is this. Believing means trust. I've already mentioned that already but when we talk about believing in God it means I am trusting in God. I am affirming my trust in Him. It's recognizing that God has done something wonderful for us through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we respond to Him by saying yes, I affirm you as the one whom I am placing my trust. I am acting in my belief. I am trusting in you. Christians don't believe in something. We believe in someone. It's not something that's out there, but it's a person. The belief is like an anchor on a boat that secures the anchor to the ocean. The only time I've ever been snorkeling in the ocean, we pulled up in a boat and the, whatever you call the guy on staff for the boating thing, what is it? The first mate, thank you, thank you, mate. That's for you, Ben. Uh, the first mate, that was... Oh, it was good. The first mate uh, tied us to a buoy, and then we snorkeled, and we, I remember diving down and looking, and that buoy was anchored to something. It was this strong cord attaching it to the floor of the ocean, and what they had done is taken this big, looked like a bowling ball almost, or, or a hook, and they just, tie, they just uh, screw it down into the floor of the ocean a long, long way, and it's secure. And so what you do with your boat is you go up to the boat... You tie off to it, and now you are anchored to that boat. So no matter how strong the wind goes or the currents of the ocean, you stay put. You're anchored to here as long as that is stronger than whatever force is around you. So that's what belief does for us. It it anchors us. It connects us to who God is. Jesus is the one who is the one connecting us to God when we are trusting in Him, when we are anchored to God in faith, we are believing in Him, now we are part of God's family. Faith leads us to action. It means we trust Him. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's a beautiful chapter that talks about the the heroes of faith, and there's a roll call of people who trusted in God and they acted on their faith and faith is defined at the beginning of the chapter as being sure, listen to this, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So Abraham, he was called to go to a strange land in chapter 11 and he to receive his blessing of inheritance. And he trusted God, so he went. His belief led him to trust in God. There are many others mentioned in the chapter and they Believed God could be trusted and so they acted on a basis of what they believed to be true and then in the next chapter we are encouraged as the people of God to do exactly the same thing to place our faith in God in a way that trusts Him with our actions look with me in Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and following so after the roll call of faith he says in verse 12 or chapter 12 verse 1 therefore who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He's saying in the same way as these people had great faith, stay focused on Christ. Otherwise, you will become weary and you will lose faith and you will go away, but endure. Stay focused on who He is. He's saying believing is more than just agreeing that there is a God whose name Jesus. It is actively placing our faith, our trust in Him that leads us to take steps of faith for Him. Believing means agreement, that we agree that there is a God and also believes that believing is trusting. Believing is trusting. The third one is this. Believing means commitment. This is a little harder to talk about many times in our world as we live in a a world of contracts. I can't wait for my Cell phone contract to run out because I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to find a new out a new provider for my uh, my cell phone and and get a better deal. So we are in a, a commitment free culture. We like to have our options open at all time, but believing in Christ means there is a commitment that we are making. In the early church, this creed was connected to a person's baptism, as I stated earlier, in their public declaration of Jesus. They were also declaring their commitment to the Lord and to His gospel. So, baptism and believing is saying, This is who I believe in, and I am 100% committed to Jesus. So, in marriage, we enter into a covenant with a husband or wife, and it's a covenant between two people. It's not a relationship that we are supposed to invite others into, it's protected. It's for two people. It's a closed, committed promise. Forsaking all others, we cling to this one spouse. In the same way, baptism is a reflection of our believing in Jesus and our forsaking all others, any other God, any other belief system. We acknowledge that Jesus is the one, not one of many but the one. He is the only option available. We declare, Jesus, I am committed to you. I am believing in you. We do this because God, time and time again, has declared His commitment to us. He will not abandon us. As the gospel has shown us, while we were enemies of God, He pursued us and He loved us and He brought us into His family. When we believe in Jesus, we make a commitment in response to His commitment to us. It's not a commitment that we make to Him in order to gain a commitment from Him. It's a response to His commitment to us. We give our hearts to Him in this marriage, in this covenant promise. We give our hearts to Him and we say, Lord, guide us. Support us, empower us, challenge us, change us, rule and reign over us. We invite Jesus to be the Lord of every area of our lives. In no way is Jesus a guest of honor in our heart, but He has one position of Lord and Master of our lives. God's commitment to us is such a covenant, a radical commitment, that it doesn't ask for, but it demands the same type of commitment from us. We'll go back to what Jesus said when He kicked off His ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. He said, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Just as God humbled himself on the cross and in order to give us a relationship with him, we are to humble ourselves in repentance in order to have this relationship with him. Believing means commitment. The fourth one is this Believing means obedience. It's not just the Apostle Paul, but I'll pick on him because that's the verse I have. But he said in the first um, chapter of Romans, he was talking about obedience that came from believing. Again, it's not the, I'm going to uh, obey so that I can have a relationship with God, but it's this faith, this believing that I have in God that leads me to obedience. He was thanking God for this kind of faith, this kind of believing that he was Seeing in the Christians that he was writing to in the book of Romans. And in chapter 1, verse 5 of Romans, he says, Through whom, and whom he's referring to, Jesus Christ our Lord, who he mentions in the previous verse. So, through Jesus Christ our Lord, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, the obedience of believing among the Gentiles for his name's sake. So it's this believing that we have that leads to obedience. Believing means obedience. It's another aspect of this word. It's a willingness to trust and obey God who has called us to faith in Him. We are called to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Believing is the root of a tree and obedience is the fruit. Believing is the, the nurturer of the tree through which obedience manifests as fruit. We do not come to believe and to have faith by doing good things. Nowhere in the Scriptures does it say that. It's not God's Gospel. It's not good news that if we obey, we will be saved. But when we are believing in God, when we are having faith and trust in God, and we are rescued and saved, we will be changed into a people who do good works. James said, faith without works is dead. It's not actually faith. It's not the real thing if there's no obedience. Faith is active. It's not merely what we think. It's not an intellectual thing that we sit around and just talk about how interesting our faith is. But faith leads to action. It leads to obedience. Believing means obedience. So, as you can see, the the word believe in God means much more than just acknowledging who He is. It means much more than trusting in Him. It means much more than committing yourself to Him. It means much more than obedience to Him. It means all of those things. It's a full word, it's a rich word. I read about the conversion of John Wesley. You heard of John Wesley? He's the founder of Methodism. If you were raised or ever went to a Methodist church, John Wesley would be uh, the guy you would be crediting for that sect of Christianity. There was an entry in his personal journal, and I'm hoping we had permission to look at it. I think it's funny. You know, his personal journal? I don't want people reading my journal, that's what I'm saying. Uh, Moving on, his personal journal, which was out there for us to read publicly records an interesting insight into his conversion. i had never learned this before, and I want to share it with you tonight because it lands the plane for us. He said, On May twenty-fourth, 1738, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, While he was thus describing the changes which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that He had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I was reading that and it made me think of my conversion experience. About how in that moment, belief became more than just facts. But it was a realization that my sins are forgiven. That all of the things that I am guilty for, God has relieved me from those. And instead of paying for those sins, God gives me His righteousness. Before that meeting, Wesley had, had believed with his mind that God could forgive him. But afterward, he believed and he experienced the forgiveness for himself. It was no longer a hypothetical. Many people think of themselves as Christians, but they never get further than accepting the truth of Christianity. It never becomes personal. They believe God is there, but they've never met Him. They believe God's, sure, able to forgive, but they've never been released from their own sins. They believe God is reliable. Sure, you can trust Him, but they have never placed their trust and relied on Him. In the 18th century, which is when Wesley was living, these people were called halfway believers. So they were on their way to faith, but they hadn't arrived yet. The gospel was still untapped, and I wonder how many of us are there that the the reality of the gospel hasn't really made its home in our hearts. Sure, we believe and we confess the creeds, but do we really believe in the way that Christ has commanded us to believe? If you're like John Wesley before his conversion, then this creed is going to challenge you and it's going to allow you to place your personal trust in God. Maybe you're like him and believe the facts, but today's the day when the Spirit of God finally wins over your heart and the Holy Spirit warms you and beckons your heart to surrender all of your trust to the Lord. Wesley knew God forgave others of their sins. But that day he left knowing that his own sins had been forgiven by God himself. It's only through believing that our lives are being connected to the anchor of Christ. It's only through Christ that we can withstand the storms of life that lead to certain death. And the only way we can be connected to Christ is through having this believing in him. This faith in him. The good news is, Jesus has already gone before us and become all of of these aspects of believing. He agreed with God that the only way for us to be saved was through his faithfulness, and he showed that. He trusted in God by putting his words into action and living a life of faith and living a life of fulfilling the entire law. He remained committed to God through the most difficult times anyone will ever face. And his faith led him to obedience. And it was the kind of obedience that led him to put the sins of the world upon his shoulders. So when we look to the Lord and we see what He has done for us, it gives us hearts. It gives us the, the faith that we need in order to believe in God. When we see what He's done for us, it makes us want to trust Him to be committed to Him, and to walk in joyful obedience to Him. When we really believe in God, it changes who we are. We cannot believe in God and remain the same. It changes who we are. No longer do we grasp for wisdom from the world. No longer do we yearn for life's meaning in worldly ways or hope to find meaning in some form of pleasure the world can offer. But when we believe we're changed and we become a child of God who finds comfort in knowing that there's always the One that we can trust. We find comfort knowing that we can be committed to someone who will never forsake us, never abandon us, and never disappoint us. And we find joy in obeying the only One who is worthy of being called our Lord and our Master. Jesus is Lord. I believe, and my prayer is that you believe also. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you've given us every reason to place our faith in you. You are perfect, you are good, you are gracious. I pray that you would give us hearts to believe in you more, And for those here today who are not believing in you, may your Holy Spirit warm their hearts with love and trust so that they would be rescued from the law of sin and death. As your children, we say to you, Lord, we believe in you. We trust you. We are committed to you. And I pray we would joyfully walk in obedience to you. We believe in you but help us in our areas of unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.